Hello, I'm Portia Parker Griffin, and I want to welcome you to the Career 101 podcast, a place for ambitious professionals and seasoned executives who want an edge in their career. We're talking about all of the things you were never taught or told when it comes to career growth, development, and change. Now, let's get into it. Today, we are talking about Confidence 101, Confidence at Work with Dr. V. Brooks Dunbar. Dr. V. Brooks Dunbar is the CEO and founder of the Center for Confidence, an organizational leadership and professional coaching firm in Jacksonville, Florida. She is a member of the MBA Advisory Committee at the Forbes School of Business and Technology, University of Arizona Global Campus and is the Senior Research Facilitator for the Walker Legacy Foundation in Washington, D.C. In this role, Dr. V supports the COVID-19 Impact Study, an initiative of the Gates Foundation to study the effects of COVID-19 on multicultural businesswomen. Serving as a motivational author, confidence coach, and executive leadership coach, Dr. V is on a mission to develop effective leaders into change makers who propel positive change in the workplace and society. She is a fearless advocate for small businesses, entrepreneurship, and creating economic equity for women. Hi, Dr. V. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I am doing well. I am excited to have you with us to discuss confidence at work. But first, we want to know a little more about you. So tell me about seven-year-old Dr. V. Seven-year-old Dr. V. Let's see. I think I was in the second grade, moving to the third grade. And I think my most challenging time during that age, between that age group, it's interesting is my favorite color so my favorite color is now purple before it was green and the reason that was my favorite color was because i remember i had a i remember having a test in the second grade and the color green was a color in the test and i failed it that was my first emotion i think that i that i felt as a kid was failing to learn this color and she's pointing to the grass saying what color is that what color is that and i was like i don't know Uh, But from then on, green was my favorite color once I found the answer. So I think I was very curious. I was in a transition state of learning and understanding what my expectations were from adults and people around me. And that if someone asked me a question, I always wanted to know the answer moving forward. And that was just starting out at, at seven years old. Yeah. What did you want to be when you grew up? I had a lot of nurses in my family. So they were all convincing me or trying to convince me I wanted to be a nurse. And so I was trying to understand what that meant when I really didn't think that was the thing that I was interested in. I wasn't particularly fond of the geography or, or not geography, the uh, biology classes. I, yeah, I wanted to be a nurse reluctantly. I was a reluctant nurse, even though everyone around me was encouraging me to be a nurse. I felt that I wanted, I loved to write, I loved to read. I was a very quiet kid. To me, that meant being around a lot of people and touching a lot of people. So that just made me uncomfortable. I wanted to, 
to do something that was helpful to people, but not highly engaging. You talk about the introverts and the extroverts, so I mean, probably a, a budding introvert and didn't even know it at the time, but whatever it was going to be, it was going to involve helping people, but not directly <laughs> dealing with their ailing conditions. There were going to be healthy people that I work with, and that's, of course, the field of coaching, as you see it today. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about some highlights or pivotal moments in your career before you started your business. This would be business number two. Before I started this business, I was then, before I went to graduate school, so before I even worked on my master's degree, I knew, I always knew, that's one answer to the previous question, I always knew I wanted to be a business owner. Everyone around me was working for other people and I didn't see them uh, progressing that lecture line, <laughs> like a measure of everyone around me, the measure of success that they achieved from getting up very early in the morning and coming home, having dinner, going to bed, and getting up and doing it the next day. What difference did I see growing up in these people's lives? And it was always pretty much the same in my mind. Maybe a new car, maybe moving to a, a, another house, but always similar, never a big difference. And so I saw entrepreneurs on the opposite end. The kids, the parents who were business owners seemed to be coming up with a lot of nice bonuses in life. They were coming in with the new cars. They were wearing the designer process. So I thought that was an interesting difference. Do you want to go to work for someone or do you want to work for yourself? So I always thought that entrepreneurship was the way to go. And so my first company right out of college, I was working in insurance. And I said, I'm going to give this five years just to get all my debt down and under control. And did that, started a marketing firm and marketing and event planning. And did that for maybe five years before going into grad school. And what I learned from that was really relationship building, patient, being an entrepreneur. So those are some of the pivotal learning points that I took from trying to be a single woman entrepreneur, learned a lot about working with men, learned quite a bit about working with men, different conversation, trying to do, to grow her business, working with people. So relationship building was the thing that I noticed and what it took to be successful as a business owner. And really just trying to understand your own, how you present yourself. And that's where some of the confidence comes in as well, I think really taking ownership of who you are in your own space and not negotiating around that. But yeah, so let's just go on a pivotal moment. And then, of course, going through college, the master's program, the doctoral program, and traveling more, I would say, would be some of the pivotal moments, traveling especially in South America and Europe and seeing the world in context, not just through the lens of your backyard, seeing your college, really seeing people in a different way in culture, it's in culture firsthand. We've had a lot of different experiences, Dr. V. What is your master's degree in and what is your doctoral degree in? Yeah, my master's degree is in public administration with an emphasis on HR. Understanding, I started to, when I, so I was in Florida, the Florida International University was in Miami, very diverse city and loved it, absolutely loved Miami will probably be the place where I retire if it's not New York. But I, I was working on my master's. I worked for the College of Law at the same time. So I was fully employed by the school there. And 
everybody was from somewhere else for the most part. And I saw that as an opportunity to really travel and get to know people. I was working on those two degrees, also had a huge interest in just human relations and human, the human dynamic, you know, working with people and, and especially people with different languages and different cultures in the workspace, in the organization. That was my major, what I really took away from that, just a better understanding of how different we are and how to appreciate that. Yeah. So what motivated you to start your current business? The current business. So when I had the, my first firm, the marketing firm, and then when I was in Miami and finished my, my master's degree, I wanted to move out of state and I wanted to do something on a bigger scale. So here is, I'm born and raised in Florida. I attended the University of Florida. That's my undergraduate degree in journalism, Go Gators. And then in Miami, working on my master's, and I was at a point to where I said, you know what, I can get out of the state. Now, mind you, when I worked, when I, my first company was working with State Farm Insurance as a homeowner claim adjuster, so I worked on their national disaster team. So we traveled quite a bit within the country, responding to disasters. That was fun, seeing a young woman with a ladder in her trunk, getting on my roof and writing out estimates for hail damage and, and all that stuff. That was fine. But again, helping people. And, and I did not want to be an inside employee sitting at a desk. I knew that as well. So it was just a great way to travel also. Traveling is, is starting to become this pattern. And so once I started, left that company, graduated, did some more marketing consulting, started working with nonprofits in the nonprofit sector. and. I believe at that time I was working, I can't remember what company, but it had to do with economic development. I was working with business women and I was consulting with small grassroots organizations. A good component of my work is working with larger agencies now to help not grassroots organizations to flourish. But I started seeing this pattern in women and this thing about equity and women who are trying to do what I have succeeded at is trying to create economic equity through entrepreneurship. So I knew that I was going back to school to get my doctorate, but I knew as soon as I finished, completed my doctorate, I wanted to start this company, the Center for Confidence, focusing on really how to help people to get out of their own way and starting with confidence. So confidence impacts about 30% of our capacity to, in terms of producing uh, a product and a service. Uh, performing uh, at work, um, it has a huge impact on the limit that we place on ourselves and our ability to succeed in whatever it is that we do. So getting that off the table right away with anyone who wanted to be a leader for themselves, for companies, for organizations, and then showing them how to just power through to achieve whatever goals or objectives they want out of life. That's why I started this company. I love it. And I think you started answering another question I have for you, Dr. V, but many executives and professionals tell me that they want to build their confidence. From your perspective, what are the benefits of being confident? So the benefits of being confident is that you have a larger sphere of influence. When you walk into a room, and you are surrounded by people who either know you 
if they know you're a competent person from the gate. But if they don't know you, they can see from the onset, from how you present yourself, your poise, your authenticity. And this is an acronym that I use to help people to understand what tools they need and what skill sets they need to develop. And that is poise, authenticity, courage, and decisiveness. To be able to make decisions in real time, to be firm and comfortable in making those decisions, to not question themselves because they have the degree of awareness and self-understanding and self-reflection and knowledge that goes with that and complements that. So the efficacy um, is wrapped in that, but be fully packed. P-A-C-D, fact, poise, authenticity, courage, and decisiveness. That is the skill set of a person who is fully confident. And if they have those four traits, they should be able to maneuver, to manage, to navigate any space in that the political, social, and influential spaces and context that we all navigate in every single day. So that is what will make them successful. I love PACT. That's something for us all to remember. So what do you think stops people from feeling confident? The self-awareness piece. It really does not uh, having a good understanding of who you are when you're standing alone by yourself, thinking and appreciating who you are. It starts at that very basic level of if I know who I am and why I do the things that that I do and why I make the decisions that I make over and over again, that is the thing that you need to understand first, understanding who you are to the core. And of course, in coaching, we deal with a lot of assessments to help people understand who they are to the core. And being true to that, authentic to that. Um, And then wrapping that around the skill set that you need to manage your strengths and your weaknesses. That is how you navigate who you are and how you respond to other people's energy and the energy around you every single day. We respond in positive and negative ways, um, but we always want to understand that in whatever way a person presents themselves, it is upon you. It's you. You're the person who's in control any situation that, that presents itself. So understand that you have that full power and capacity to determine the outcomes of any situation is a powerful statement, but it's absolutely a true statement. Yeah, I agree. So from your perspective, what are some of the biggest challenges you've seen executives and professionals have with confidence at work? At work, at confidence at work, those are those three environmental challenges that I mentioned before. There's the social spaces that we navigate in. So those social spaces is knowing who we are, where we're in the room with different, not necessarily personalities, but even knowing who we are when we see certain behaviors and how we respond to those behaviors. So being socially aware and engaged in your environment, that's the emotional intelligence piece that, that you, you said a lot of people are more comfortable with understanding and are aware of. But in addition to that socially aware piece is that politically aware piece. Knowing how to navigate office culture and the context of the social political environment that you work in and understanding that having political influence in a work environment is more so related to how do you position yourself 
to be a to be the person who people come to in within the gray areas of the political spaces. If someone who can navigate in between a politically charged office, who can see that and say, this is not what this office is really about, but how do we turn this into an opportunity to move this office forward? So not being at the root of political challenges or political games within the office, but how to be on the outside managing and making sure that political energy between people at offices and vying for power, all of that kind of behavior, that you are the one who's offering the solution and the one who's the mediator in those spaces. So understanding how to position yourself strongly and firmly in the political spaces that can crush a person in an office. The other space that is the influential space, so really understanding where your influence lies, how to gain influence, but also how to have people look to you as a person they want to follow. So when I say influence is having other people, team members, anyone else in the office to help you to achieve the outcomes that you want, but to do it willingly. No coercion, no bullying, none of these negative behaviors, but to be that person who has influence so that people, when they see you, they really do want to follow you and they really want to support the outcomes that you seek because they understand that it benefits the greater good. That's how you navigate those, the lane of confidence in an office or work environment. The Career 101 Podcast is brought to you by Fly High Coaching, where we help our clients soar to their full potential. More and more professionals and executives are setting out to achieve their career goals. But without the right support, it can be difficult, if not impossible. Whether you need career coaching, interview coaching, or a professional resume, we're here to help. Check us out on our website, fly-highcoaching.com. I want to highlight some of the things that you said, because you said a lot of great things there. I liked your point about influence and how that ties into confidence. We actually had an episode, I believe it was episode 14, where we talked about increasing your influence in the workplace. And you're right. I think that it ties so well into confidence. And then also when you were talking about self-awareness and emotional intelligence, I think both of those tie into confidence as well. We had an episode on emotional intelligence. I want to say that's episode 22, where we talked about emotional intelligence in the workplace. And so all of these things really tie together, I think, for an individual. And I'm glad that you've highlighted those things for us. And another challenge I see, Dr. V, and I think you touched on this when you were talking about the different environments, but I think it's just a general um, challenge of speaking up. And so that might be speaking up when you're working on a team or um, on a project and things aren't going well. I'm having that confidence to point some things out, maybe not in a negative way, but in a constructive way, maybe speaking up to ask for uh, a raise or a promotion. I see sometimes for our clients who have challenges with confidence, just that general theme of speaking up becomes hard for them. Always lean into your strength. Let me just put that out there. Lean into your strength in all of those situations because your strength on our 
the pieces of you that people already can see and acknowledge and respect. So lean into start from your position of strength. If you're on a team and your team is having a conflict, just saying, just leaning into this is what I know I'm good at, but through this lens, this is what it looks like. So through the lens of my strength, this is how we can help or support or provide. The other thing is you're leaning into a little bit of the gender, the differences in confidence between the gender peers. So when it comes to how do you negotiate, and I see this so much with women business owners. They're leaving about 80% of their potential capacity on the table because they don't know how to negotiate. And what research shows is that women will negotiate about $1,000 less. If you're looking at even pay, pay, pay scale, about 2000 less for themselves, about 2000 more for someone else. And then men will negotiate just at about what it's worth, just a little, whatever the pay scale is, just above it, that amount, so maybe within a thousand or so. But for someone else, um, they will negotiate about the same. So they're, they're confident in who they are and they're not leaving any negotiation tech tactics on the table and they use those same t- tactics to negotiate with someone else. A woman will pull back and negotiate for herself, leave some of her tactics or strengths off the table, but then would bring those strengths out for someone else and negotiate harder with someone else. So the difference over the years, when you multiply that over and over again with someone coming up for promotion in or pay rate, it's a flat line or their women are not moving at the pace and rate that they should be. And these are the women who are in CEO positions now. They only acknowledge that they actually can do a job at a higher level if someone else, a mentor or a sponsor, will put them in that position and tell them that they should. So they won't even acknowledge for themselves that this is something that I'm really good at. So why don't we speak up for ourselves and advocate for ourselves and be our own voice? So that is very likely cultural. And so we have to break out of some of those barriers as well, owning our own power and not being afraid of power. And not seeing power as a negative, because I'm, I've heard women say, I thought power was associated with evil, or power is a bad thing. And that comes up with the women. I have not heard that from men yet. Maybe there are some out there who may feel that way. But that kind of thinking in terms of power as a negative is a huge part of why we can't take full ownership of all of our resources and talents, because we are thinking that for some reason someone's going to feel that I'm a bad person or I'm not a good person because of it. And so what I always say is when you own up to all of your power and all of your assets, you are able to help more people. You're able to do more for more people. And therefore you have to lean into your strengths and acknowledge what you're good at is to be able to advocate for yourself and to be able to communicate that clearly that you're absolutely worth it because you are. And, and the delay that comes with that, and you delay a lot as well because we can't really get get comfortable with it soon enough or we're afraid to step on someone else's toes. We have to figure out how to manage those. And so with coaching, it just helps you to take ownership of all of those and to get your mindset wrapped around. You're not only hurting yourself when you don't step into who you are and take ownership of who you are, uh, you're also hurting your potential and the potential to help other people that you haven't even met yet. 
Very wise words. I think that you mentioned a lot of great things there. And yes, I would agree that confidence shows up a lot with salary negotiation. We have a couple of episodes on salary negotiation as well. And I think that is directly (laughs) influenced by confidence, as you were saying. So you started with this, Dr. V, in terms of talking about leaning into your strengths, but what are some tips or recommendations you would give people who want to be more confident in their careers? One thing that I noticed is that you only start getting, or at least in my career, you only start getting these self-assessment to help you to figure out who you are when you start to get into management level. I would recommend that individuals take responsibility for developing themselves first and not to wait for a company or organization to do that. So if you're not already looking at, and there's so many online tools, self-assessment tools now that are out there, looking at tools that help you to identify your strengths, tools that help you to understand how to uh, work with teams, tools that will help you to understand how you respond under stress, one of the best assessments I've ever taken talked about temperament. And it was interesting uh, during the 2016 campaign, I kept seeing this word come up so many times, temperament, good or bad temperament. And people didn't quite understand what that is, but it's who you are. At the end of the day, it, it's who you are and how you behave in certain situations every day. So if you are a beaver, the biggest example, if you're a beaver going to build dams, they're not going to stop building dams. That's just who they are. That's what they do. Scorpion's going to stay. That's who they are. That's what they do. So your temperament is who you are. It's what you do every single day. And there's different categories of temperament that we are aligned with. But in addition to that, it talks about stress, how you transform under stress. So knowing who you are when you're under stress is absolutely key because we are not our best person when we're under stress. Some of us give up. Some of us lash out. Some of us need or what have you. So knowing how you behave, there's personality assessments that talk about preferences, and then there's one personality assessment that talk about behavior. Just start to dig in to taking tests online and just seeing what's out there because these tests are expensive companies. They only invest in them for certain employees because they do cost. I used to, in, the, in my weekly workshop, they used to provide the assessment complimentary because I really wanted women to start to understand that speaking, that judging was a, a game, was a deal breaker, that bringing judgment to the table under any circumstances was not a positive trait or skill set that is why you move your career forward. And when you're in an environment where you're under stress and, and some of that starts to come out, that can really kill a career. And a lot of people just unaware of how they respond under pressure and what that looks like through the eyes of another person. So I'm getting to that to say that there's some assessments that will, my favorite one is people sell. So that will tell you how you present to other people. And that's the one to me that is the most valuable one for workplace behavior. You have cognitive behavioral coaching and some other things that, that you can look into. But for me, the aha moment for me about assessment was I don't need to really understand who I am anymore internally, like my resting space. Yes, I'm an introvert. Yes, I know how to manage being an introvert because I have to go out and talk to people. But behavior is also a critical 
awareness, self-awareness piece that you need to understand in the workplace. Because I am the person who is the driver. If we are on a deadline and other people around me are not coming up with their piece, I will simply just say, I will do it all. It will take it over. And that sometimes is not the way you want to respond. You want to give people honor and respect their space. Other people will just quit and leave everything on you at the table. That is not a good way to respond. In the workplace, to work, you can't quit. But it helps you to understand which one you are so that you know how to manage the person that you're looking at, the person who you're working with opposite you. So those career killers, knowing yourself and knowing how you respond under pressure and stress, and how to communicate that out in a positive, um, productive way that still does not impact your performance because at the end of the day, you still have to perform and do your job. Those are the important assessments that people just start looking into and just getting an understanding of that authenticity piece. Who am I at the core? And why do I consistently make these decisions? And why do I consistently drop the ball? And why do I consistently lash out when there's really a better way to go about doing it. And what are those ways to skill sets that I need to acquire or, or onboard or training that I need to adopt to, to overcome those obstacles to myself? Yeah. That's, that's rule number one. Yeah, I think that that was a lot of great information. I'm a firm believer in assessments as well. I haven't taken people's styles, so I'm going to have to check that out. I'm a master practitioner of the MBTI, Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. And use that and like the Hogan assessment and some others with clients too. So Dr. V, to look at this from another angle, confidence, I saw on your website that you said confident employees increase a business's bottom line by 22%. How can companies increase the confidence levels of their employees at work? Yeah. So that goes back to, again, number one, helping your employees to get the team to be more self-aware and to be able to manage themselves. This in terms of the coworkers, but also this is important for clients on the outside. So how can you best use these skill skill sets of self-awareness to close the sale, to make a deal, to put two people together who have a higher probability generating greater outcomes, being more productive, performing better. How do you make them mix up those numbers where they look the best? The other thing is empowering them, giving them enough of a learning curve and protecting them and showing them that you have, they have your full support. So the other piece is managers and decision makers have to give more trust in these moments. But I say trust with some fail safe. No one's going to be, uh, you know, a million dollar client because they want to give someone a chance to prove themselves. But having those fail safe to where you give them all the confidence they need, all the tools they need, but they're also in a situation or an environment where they have the people and the resources that they need to shore up their confidence if they're not there yet. So just trusting them and giving them the tools and resources they need and enough leeway to make those decisions that are going to turn out to be absolutely great. So so let them take the risk to do the job and have confidence that they're going to do the right thing. So those are the two purifier ways to help employees to improve productivity and performance. Because once you do that, once you open up the opportunity for them to really lean into work 
and not pull back because they're afraid of work or afraid of judgment or afraid of whatever repercussions may come from their decisions, they're more than likely to learn. They're more than like more likely to engage. They're more likely to take ownership and to also, even if they make a mistake, they'll double down on it to fix it. So those are the kinds of things that, that can help employees to work with their team to improve performance, productivity. And when those two things go up, the bottom line goes up by 20 percent. So tell us a little more about your business. Oh, and the other thing. So I want to, sorry, one thing I want to make sure everybody understands the difference between confidence and arrogance. Some people misunder, <laughs> confident for arrogant. So confidence is, and this is how I define it, is confidence is arrogant. How do I tip that up? So it has poise. Poise is a factor. So confidence is a person who is leaning into being aware, knowing what they need to know, having all their information, but delivering it with poise. Arrogance is absence of that. Arrogance is you're just coming in to a situation or a room and you're just uh, leaning into it with just air. You're just spraying whatever words or language um, or experience or uh, or uh, opportunity and you are pushing it forth on someone with, with this kind of isolated, everything is centered on me approach. Poise is to deliver the information, the relationship or whatever is the lens of grace and gratitude. So that's the difference between arrogance and confidence. Confidence is to enter a room, to stand up tall, speak confidently, and it's wrapped in grace and gratitude. Poise, grace and gratitude. Confidence is the absence of that. But, um, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I knew what you were saying. Yeah. Thank you. That's a okay. great distinction. And I think that comes up for a lot of people and they are wondering about that difference between confidence and arrogance. So tell us a little more about your business. Yeah, so the Center for Confidence, my focus is on helping people at the earliest age and opportunity to achieve confidence, to be able to live their full life potential. The second piece of that is helping women to achieve economic equity through entrepreneurship, starting with confidence development, to get all of their challenges and, and, and weaknesses off the table so they can live their fullest life. We offer, of course, all of those assessments that I referenced, the assessment, the training, but we also focus on companies and small businesses and business development. We lean into diversity training as well. And we also focus highly on leadership development. So when I talk about working with the entrepreneurs, we're also talking about business leaders and business advocates as well. We have clients who are in the economic development space. We work with financial coaches in the financial sector. And we are delivering content for uh, Goldman Sachs. We're business advisors to some national corporations as well. So all of our work at the end of the day is centered around creating economic equity uh, for women entrepreneurs, but leading, creating leaders in business and in the workplace. 
starting with confidence development at the earliest age and opportunity. That is great. We'll be providing a link to your website and other social channels in our show notes so that people can find you online. But now it's time for my last question, Dr. V, that I ask all of our guests. How do you think executives or professionals can get a positive edge in their career? So we've talked about the confidence. Of course, that's number one. I would say that leading with gratitude is another phrase that I use quite often. Uh, leading with gratitude and everything that you do. Partnership is another word that I talk about often. So creating those champions. So I'm less inclined to, I really don't focus on mentors and mentorship, even though that's just kind of part of it. But when you're talking about a champion, you're talking about a person who's opening doors to you. And in a business space, you're talking about a person who's referring business to you. So those are your champions who are willing to go to bat for you finding out who they are, where they are, and really leaning into building a core power five around you who can help you to get to where you want to go and achieve the success that you want to achieve in life. Dr. V, you've shared a lot of wisdom with us today, and I'm sure that our listeners can use it to be more confident in their careers. We appreciate you being with us. Yeah, thank you so much. And I forgot to mention the truthdrv.com is where most of my work with women entrepreneurs is located as well. Great. We'll add that to the show notes too. Thank you, Dr. V. Thank you so much. This episode was brought to you by the Brave Bird Career Alliance, the go-to membership designed for seasoned executives and ambitious professionals with everything you need for career planning, strategy, training, and support. Thank you again for listening to the Career 101 podcast. I hope you have at least one key takeaway that you can use in your own career. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. Until next time, here's to your success.